Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. How are y'all doing? Let's do a little bit of a check-in. It's always, how's your day going? How's your week? How's your month? What do you need? What do you need more of? What do you need less of? It's not always about bringing stuff in. Sometimes it's about closing off access that can be hard for some of us it's hard for someone like myself i don't know if you can imagine but if not let's go there uh how often people are dming calling texting just to like you know what how do they say it um can we just grab coffee i just want to pick your brain for a minute it's like that's what i do all day long at work and so for me, what I need to do in service of my own mental health and self-care is to set boundaries. If I'm not doing clinical work, then I'm not doing clinical work. <laughs> and it's a hard boundary to hold with people I care about. Hey, I just did a full day of clinical work. I can't sit here and do you know, any more emotional processing or holding that container for someone. Um, I want to laugh. I want to talk about my stuff. I need to do the opposite of my job. So I, I pose that to you all as a question. What might your work or your daily um, routine require that others in your life or the world is also maybe wanting that you need to set a boundary around. I can't imagine, unless this is something you have joy in, because for some people they're like, no, I love it. But rough example, I can't imagine being a chef and maybe cooking for people all day and then having to come home and yet again cook for someone. Or maybe you love that, but that might be a boundary you set. Hey, I cook all day when I come home, I want to be cooked for, or I want to order in. Um, or I want to make something very simple, rough example. Um, so ask yourself, what do I need more of? What do I need less of? What do I need to set a boundary around? Where am I burnout? We're not trying to live in burnout. You know, a lot of us wait until we're burnout to do what we need to do. I want us to not get there. That's why I say often on the show, 70% max is what we're doing. We're not giving anything hundred percent. That's depletion. Um, Give everything, you know, a certain level and reserve reserve stuff for yourself. I, I use this example and metaphor in the show before, but I think it's really beautiful. And a client actually brought it up this week. And I was like, oh, this is always so meaningful. So all of us are, are, are you know, our genetics, um, the social environments we're part of, different life experiences, the current structures we exist within all impact how much energy we wake up with each day. And we don't necessarily have enough energy every day or every week to do what is required. And, and we have to, though, nonetheless, think in those terms and maybe take some things off our plate because we're not trying to burn out. We're not trying to be perfect. We're not trying to do 100%. And we might wake up with 10 units of energy and our morning routine, getting the kids off to school, getting ourselves off to work might take half of that. And then our job maybe takes the other half. And then we come home, we have nothing left. It's also why at the end of the day, it's hard for us to hold boundaries with ourselves. That's why we're maybe a little more emotionally dysregulated or explosive. We're tired. 
Ooh, we're depleted. I know that. And so we want to back off of what we're doing in the morning and the afternoon to have some time and energy left over for what might be required of our night or our evening. We don't want to give our family or our partners our leftover dirty energy. We want to reserve some clean, pure energy for them. Yes. And so we're doing a little bit less. I don't agree with these optimized schedules where people are like, I'm up at 5 a.m. and I'm on the Peloton by 5.30 or 6. And then I'm, that is horrible. I'm exhausted just thinking about your schedule. Be easier. Go softer. Say no to some things. We got to be kinder with ourselves. I don't know what it is we're trying to perform. We're trying to perform perfection, optimization. Why? For who? Oh, that's right. Because we've been trained to believe our worth is tied to that. But it's not. I value people that are like, yeah, I'm going to quit this thing because it's not fun. Quit things because they're not fun. Quit things because they're not right for you. Leave early. Give a little less. That's self-care. That's mental health. So I want that to be the goal this week, at least for the day. And as always, trying to build in more rest, more joy, more pleasure. People are trying to do too darn much. Um, And people are shocked when I say it sometimes. I'm like, do less. (laughs) Ask for some help. Phone it in a little bit. Do it later. Mental health. We also talked, there was a show I did. I don't remember what the exact uh, theme was, but it was, gosh, what was the theme? I remember what the perspectives or the kind of tools were. Anyway, it had to do with this idea that do the difficult things first and how, I think it was about procrastination and Anyway, it doesn't really matter, but it was this whole idea of doing the harder things first, because if we have the harder things waiting for us, we then carry forward that anticipatory anxiety of what we still have to do and what's ahead of us. So it's like, get the difficult things done first and then glide through the rest of your day or the rest of your week, you know, build in at the front of the week or the, or the early part of the day, the more difficult tasks. And then you also have, like I said, the relief of knowing, oh, it's only going to get easier. All the hard things are done. Decreases our anxiety. Because everything's really about mental health, you know? What would be better for our mental health? What impact does that have on our mental health? It's a, it's a tough lens to try to build in, and very few people do it. So we need those reminders. Okay, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, because that time is upon us. And it's something that a lot of people are affected by more so, I think, now than maybe in the past. So we'll talk about how do you know, what do you do, how to prepare for it's all about the preparation, you know? And then we'll be doing some uh, DMs. So if you got a question for us or topic, put it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Past episodes of the show, always over at wearechannelq.com. Podcasted. Gotta love it. What did we do back in the days without? All right, y'all, stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast oh rachel we're back talking about seasonal affective disorder it's important because a lot of people might not really be aware that there's a reason why or a name for and some solutions that can help with oncoming depression, sadness, lack of joy and pleasure. Um, there's a wealth of reasons as to why that's maybe happening, but specifically when it's brought on with the changing of the seasons, that's what's happening. Um, so the, how do you say the official definition would be type of depression with a seasonal pattern, seasonal onset. And the symptoms tend to occur uh, during fall, uh, winter, when there's less sunlight. And then it tends to alleviate and improve around spring. Um, yeah, it's a long time, depending on where you live. You know, California, our winters are like a day long. I think we have like a week. <laughs> uh, but in other places, winters, winter goes on for a long time. And it's very, very daylight driven. And um, but, but also know that there's a symbolic piece to that, right? With mental health, it's not, it's not often genetic at all. It's about meaning we make out of things, social experience, uh, psychological experience. What I mean when I say that is, yes, the lack of sunlight can have its own direct impact. And we're going to talk about how that could come to be. But some people also infuse depressing meaning, thereby depressing themselves when the weather is darker or cooler and say things like, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to get out of the house much anymore. Okay, well, that's a very depressing thought that will lead to depression. And that is what we insert into the changing weather. So we also want to be thoughtful about our thinking pattern. We don't have to depress ourselves. There's still a lot of joy and pleasure that can be found and activity in the darker, cooler times. But a lot of people, like I said, again, depress themselves by not seeing it as such 
And so sometimes it's not necessarily that the season is causing the seasonal depression. It's the meaning they're making out of that season that's causing the depression. Some people, it's just also because the holidays are very difficult. They feel alone. They've lost a loved one. They have issues with family. Uh, finances come into play. That could sometimes be what's causing the depression. And it's just happening at the same time as the changing seasons. But it's really brought on by the meaning and the triggers. So it can be an accumulation of all of that. So it's not necessarily directly related. Um, for those that it is, what is believed to be happening is that the decreased or lack of sunlight can impact or stop a part of the brain, hypothalamus, from working properly, um, and that can and that has that is responsible for the production of melatonin. And melatonin is a hormone that makes you sleepy. And so, for some people, it's seasonal affective. Um, the body may produce it in higher than normal levels. That could be one component or one cause, not necessarily going to be everyone's experience. Like I said, sometimes it's a symbolic meaning, holiday time, not a good time. Or like I said, you see the world differently and how you can participate in it. So knowing that it's coming, looking back and thinking, ah, that's me. We want to be aware of that. First and foremost, just so that we don't panic. I think a lot of times awareness and education is important so that we can normalize something and say, hey, listen, I know what this is. I know that it has a finite ending point. Don't have to worry, don't have to panic, nothing is wrong. I just have to know how to better interface and interact with this. And that's really what this segment's about, is just saying like, you know, expect it. Uh, track and see if it's you, and then we can kind of prepare. I had a brother, I don't, not had, I have, and this is something that is a huge factor for him. Oh, he can mark it on a calendar. But again, remember, some of it can be triggered by his own anticipatory anxiety. And I always try to point that out to him. Don't assume that just because historically the less sunlight, more darkness, the cooler weather, because historically that's caused some seasonal depression. Don't assume that it always will and always has to. Hold space for the possibility that it might not at all this year. Hold space for the fact that it might not consistently, but there might be days or weeks where you're feeling a little bit better. Allow for that. But some people, it's that anticipation. Oh no, here it comes. And I'm like, uh oh, you're already starting to depress yourself before what might be causing the depression is even in play. Don't do that. At least try to say, Yes, this might seem to happen every year. I don't know what my experience of it will be this year. I'm going to hold space to find out what it is, and I might be surprised. It might not be as bad. It might not be as consistent. And it might not even happen at all, especially if I can prepare. Don't let this be determining. And that's why I'm very thoughtful and don't use diagnoses. I don't diagnose people because what happens is people buy into it as their full identity. They ignore behaviors that are outside of those diagnoses. They see it as ongoing. They believe in this single disease theory as though if that person's depression is that way, then mine might be as well. Hold it lightly. These are metaphors and concepts. These aren't deterministic. Everyone's experience is different. And sometimes it will shift. Sometimes it will change. Sometimes it will go away forever. Childhood asthma, most children outgrow it. We don't want to hold on that forever. Same thing with ADHD. That diagnosis doesn't even exist in other places. We want to be very thoughtful, but a lot of people buy into a lot of these terms as real things that will always happen. My experience is predetermined. That's not true. We can change our perspective and experience of something. We can prepare for something. We can look for the outlier moments and experiences within that. It's very important. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But that's why I wanted to point that out. Let's be careful about not depressing ourselves during what could be a depressing time. Um, 
but like I said, it usually uh, occurs in the when the fall's coming and it lasts usually through the end of the winter. And it can look like a shift in your energy, your experience of joy and pleasure, uh, carb cravings can change. You can feel sadder, mood, moodier, moodier. Like I say that already moody, get moodier can happen. Um, and again, for a lot of people, it's light driven. And we'll talk about some of the things you can do to kind of work with that. But um, it's really just about building more self-awareness and then not panicking. Okay. Uh, we'll come back, talk more about that. And then we're going to be doing some DMs. DMs are for your questions. Uh, got a question for us? Always anonymous, always confidential. Someone else might be wondering the same thing. Helping them as you're helping yourself. Put all those DM questions in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Head on over there. Bam, just drop them in. And pass episodes of the show. Always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Lots of good stuff. But otherwise, y'all stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. Oh, Rachel, we're back talking about seasonal affective disorder, that oncoming depression, low energy, low mood that happens when the daylight is less, shorter days, longer nights, colder weather, it's darker. And again, some of that is we start to depress ourselves because we start to anticipate that, start to feel bad. We make it, we feel as though it's predetermined, not necessarily. You don't know your experience is going to be. Let's hold space. Some other elements might occur during that time that elevate your mood. So we don't really know. Um, but what does it look like? Okay. Mood wise, a little lonely, maybe some mood swings, maybe some sadness, a little anxiety. Uh, I like breaking down these domains sleep. You might be sleeping more. You might have trouble sleeping. Isn't it interesting that that happens? It can go in either direction. Same thing with our appetites. Um, that yep, just pointed that out. Appetite, uh, better, worse, uh, fatigue, irritability, but what we want to work on is not giving into those symptoms. I want people to still go out and have activities. I want people to still socialize. I want people to still try to find joy and pleasure in their lives. Even I talk about that even during times of grieving and mourning. It's okay to still say, you know what? I'm going to take some space away from this and go distract myself by going to see a movie today. Yeah, I woke up feeling really sad and lonely and missing this person who's no longer with us, but I can still try to build a day that's going to give me some pleasure in some, to some extent. It's not a dishonoring. And it's, it's, it's often better for us to learn how to hold both at the same time. So know that. And that's kind of part of this. So um, those are the symptoms. And also sometimes it's gendered. It's more common among women than men. Not that that really has to be meaningful. I don't, I, I hate blurbs like that because what are you supposed to do with that? Um, but if this is you, you know, your sleep patterns are different. Your appetite is different. Things you found joy and you no longer do. You're feeling a little more depressive. Uh, your activity and socialization is less, that might be seasonal effective. And again, why that's meaningful is that we don't panic and think something massive or major is wrong. We might say it's just something that is part of what happens when the fall and winter arises. And so I just have to relate to myself and to that time in my life a little differently. Um, don't be scared is what we're kind of basically saying. Um, I tend to have those experiences during the summer, which shocks some people, but seasonal effective means your mood is affected by the seasons. It doesn't just have to be dark and rain. That does it for some people. It's the extreme heat. Um, I don't deal well with heat. I find it really oppressive. I don't like being out in it. I don't want to eat in it. Um, so that's in there. Uh, and so again, this is kind of like the opposite of that. 
Now, there's a lot of ways we can treat it. Uh, antidepressants, cognitive behavioral therapy, and also light therapy. My brother benefited a lot from the antidepressants and from light therapy. He bought a light box. These are specific, and he would spend time sitting in front of it to get the extreme light. It's a, it's a treatment. Um, some people move, some people relocate and realize I can't have this every year and they move to sunnier climates. For me, I do better in cooler, darker climates. Um, but like I said, the SSRIs, the antidepressants and the light box did, did very well for him. And I'm trying to feed you guys the cognitive behavioral, still engage in what we call behavioral activation, still go and do stuff. In fact, more so knowing that this might happen, build in a social calendar. And when I say social, I mean, even just you out in the world by yourself, go read that book at a coffee shop, go see some art by yourself. Make sure you have that calendar hanging up on the wall. And every week you have socialization planned and built in. We get the anticipation. We get the anticipatory pleasure of seeing, look, stuff's coming. And also the joy of actually doing those things. Get that calendar out. Put those things in there. In red pen, this, the, the, the socialization you're doing with other people. In green pen, the things you're going to plan and do for yourself so that you're moving. You are active. You are creating joy and pleasure. You are finding things to still do during that time. I don't, I don't believe that during that period, there's nothing you can go do that you would enjoy. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe that's when you happily stay home and binge watch some television. Maybe that's when you go through closets and drawers and clean your place. Maybe that's when you stay home and read more and work on art or do some, you know, repair around the house. I don't know, but make it meaningful. Don't just kind of like write it off and say, I'm depressed every year when the darker weather comes and it's just it's nothing good's going to come from it. That's not true. The cognitive therapy is not catastrophizing, not dramatizing, and also saying, what is the evidence of that? There really isn't a lot. I determine how that time will go. And I know I need to beef up certain things. I always remind my brother that make sure you're socializing more, make sure you're getting out of the house, make sure you're exercising and moving your body more. What, what things did you do this week that brought you joy and put a smile on your face? When's the last time you saw a friend do that in addition to the SRIs and the light therapy? especially knowing it's coming, get that stuff on the books. It's also all just general mental health tips. Um, I've been doing, I've been using this calendar thing a lot more with people, you know, the cute little term, me and a couple patients have deemed it as the joy calendar. That's really what it is. A calendar that has all these joyful pleasure-based leisure driven experiences on it. So that, you know, your life is not just work, that hamster wheel, uh, participating in capitalism and saying, you know, got to go to work because I have to earn a living. I'm not allowed to just be given one because I'm a human. I have to go earn it and I have to deal with bosses and cubicles and, you know, professionalism and commuting and traffic. And it's like, what a horrible existence. That's why you have this calendar to try to counterbalance that and to try to remind ourselves, no, our lives are rooted in some other things and to have the pleasurable experience of seeing it right there in front of us and then doing it. Yeah, that's a radical act against all of that. Still finding joy and meaning in our lives. Um, so get that in play, knowing that that darker, cooler weather is here. <laughs> in some places, you're already deep in. California, it's still hot. I was sweating the other day. All right, y'all, we're going to come back to some DMs, so stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we're back, and now it's time to drop some gems. That's right, I'm introducing a new segment where uh, we do a little quick deep dive into a peripheral topic 
and just kind of drop some gems on you. So uh, if the general topic isn't really your flavor, we got some stuff for you. So we're going to be talking about some dating app gems. That's right. What are some things to think about if you're one of those people out on those dating apps? Uh, number one, be consistent. That is one of the things I hear people complain about in my office is that people are flaky. And remember, signs of a secure relationship, the kind of thing we're looking for, a securely attached individual, consistent, reliable, available, and responsive. You are looking for that. You also need to offer and provide that. Healthy, interested people like signs of interest. So if you are not keeping the conversation going or you're disappearing for long periods of time, yes, life is happening and it might be a good reason. You might be busy, but it's a red flag for a lot of people and in ways it really should be. Also, make sure you're asking questions. Too many people focus on themselves. People walk away from a conversation or a date feeling good if they've been asked a lot of questions. It makes people think that you care and that you're trying to get to know them. That's important. They should want that. They should be looking for that. Also, ask open-ended questions. Questions that aren't answered easily with a yes or a no. That stops conversations. That puts a lot of labor on the other person to keep the ball in the air. So early on, before you found your flow, it can't just be, like I said, yes or no questions or even things that aren't even a question. Some people keep putting a period on the end of everything. They answer everything and then there's nowhere to go. So keep asking really insightful, open-ended question. Also, you have to be assertive. Too many people want others to do all of the heavy lifting, as they say. They just want to sit back and be reached out to and engaged. I don't care if you're a boy. I don't care if you're a girl. I don't care if you're non-binary. We aren't doing gendered roles anymore. If you want love and you want to connect on an app, you need to be assertive. You need to put yourself out there and keep the ball going and show signs of interest because no one is chasing anyone anymore. Everyone wants to feel desired and accepted. And so we're getting rid of all that mess. Also know it's a numbers game. You know, it's going to be maybe the 12th person you talk to that where it's really going to take off and you're going to exchange numbers and maybe you'll go on a date, but you got to be there for numbers one through 11 to get to number 12. Now that's an arbitrary number. It's just to point out that you can't talk to a few people or be on there for a few weeks and think I, I've exhausted myself. No, there's always new people joining and new people leaving. So it's a numbers game. You have to be there to be connected with at the right time. Also, FaceTime and phone call before you go on a date. It'll save you time. It'll also help you weed out who's really interested. If someone's truly single and truly available and truly interested in you, if you say, let's take it to the phone, let's get on FaceTime, let's meet each other, it's a really good date. It's a pre-date or it's a date itself, however you want to look at it, but it'll help you decide whether or not you want to actually take time to go meet them at a restaurant or a coffee shop or a park. Because if you can't even sit on the phone and have a good conversation for a few minutes, there's no way you're going to enjoy sitting at a dinner table or going for a walk with them. Also remember, interested people like signs of interest. So if you're playing coy or you're playing hard to get, that is only going to work for people that aren't actually interested in an in intimate, close relationship. No one who's healthy chases other people. The minute they see signs of someone not being interested or not available, they move on. So if you're interested, let that be known. Be vulnerable. Interested people want to know that. They're excited to have found someone that's interested in them. There's no such thing as being too available for someone who actually is available and likes you. That is old school behavior. We used to think we had to manipulate or play games to get someone. Healthy people like authentic present people. 
if you're playing games and manipulating, then that tells me it's a self-esteem issue that you don't think you're good enough as you are. And you think you need to use tactics to be wanted. And guess what? If you need to play games to be wanted and to get someone, you're going to have to keep playing games to keep them. Healthy, interested people are assessing for compatibility and chemistry. And the only way we really assess that is through honesty. So show up as yourself and let other people show up as themselves. And those are the gems I got for y'all for dating apps, because we all need a lot of help, (laughs) more help, more help than just this little segment can give us. We'll be doing some DMs though, to close out the show. So if you've got a question for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, past episodes of the show, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. It's all there. You can binge post, re-listen and share, but uh, we got a whole lot more coming up. So don't go anywhere. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we're back, moving into the second hour, put the kids to bed. We're going to get a little, what is it, uh, NSFW, not safe for work. Uh, we're going to talk about kink. This comes in my office. Uh, I'm a certified sex therapist in addition to everything else. And, uh, you know, there's only a few hundred of us certified in the world. It's a true specialization. It's a dynamic, interesting kind of type of clinical work to do, really value it. Remember, our sexuality holds everything. It's the most important part of us. All that's woven in there, our body esteem, our self-esteem, our boundaries, our communication, um, how much intimacy we can tolerate, our family of origin stuff is in there. our gender training is in there, our sexual orientation, the limits that that imposes on us is in there, all of it. Um, it's such a vulnerable part of ourselves. And remember, our first initiation of sexuality is a very awkward one. It's solo sexuality, it's masturbation. And we're supposed to you know, do it quickly and secretively and not let anyone know. And it's like so strange. And even as adults, when I talk to couples about masturbating together or watching pornography together, it's like, oh my God, but that's such a private act. Well, because we've made it that way. It's just self-pleasure and we can be pleasuring with our partner, pleasuring with ourselves. So it's just really interesting when all these boundaries start to get set up. And we've talked about this on the show where very few people even know their true sexual orientation because they've taken off all the things that make them anxious. You know, it's like, well, I'm a man, so I can only do certain things. Okay, that's not true. Anything a man does is a man's behavior. Anything a heterosexual person person does sexually is therefore heterosexual behavior, but we don't think in those terms. We're like, oh, only gay people do that. Only straight people do that. Uh, You know, a wife or mother material would never fill in the blank. And it's like, that's all made up socially constructed shame. Let's just be our authentic selves. Whether you're a man, a woman, or bi, or trans, or non-binary, or gay, or straight, or pan, just do the things that feel good and you're interested in, and let's stop labeling. That's why I, I don't think we should be labeling. Yes, we need identity politics so we can get rights and we can build community and, and all of that. That's important. But hold it lightly. It's a starting point. It is not a defining line. It shouldn't be a solid boundary. It should be flexible. Let's examine what parts of our bodies we let have touched and which parts we don't and why, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to talk a little bit about kink. Everyone's kinkier than they realize. And we know that from looking at the key search terms used when looking for porn, which is a huge sample size because we have billions upon billions of people. Uh, There's nothing wrong with porn. Porn is a beautiful addition to your sexuality. It's a really important place to normalize sex, to learn about sex, to learn about your sexuality, to add more joy. But the point in saying all this is no one is searching for vanilla sex. When you look at the key terms that are most typed in what people are looking at, more people are kinky than not. It is normal to be kinky. It is not normal to be vanilla. I'm not shaming if you are vanilla, be where you are, be who you are. But statistically speaking, 75 
plus percent are looking for kinky things. People are not typing in afternoon, loving, vanilla sex, after showering, in our marital bed, blah, blah, blah. No one's looking for that. It is far more colorful, creative, and diverse stuff. Everyone's a little more kinky than they want to realize. But we are anxious. We are sex phobic. We don't want to be called a sex addict. We want to be seen as a professional, as a good mom. And we kind of push these parts away from ourselves. I work with people that are wanting to be more authentic in their lives in general. And they understand that if we have shame around our sexuality, we have shame and that our self-esteem will be impacted. I work with people that want more joy and pleasure. I work with people that don't want to be carrying all this cultural sex phobia anymore. And I work with people that just want to try some new stuff because they're bored or they want to re-spark stuff in their relationship. And they say, let's push on our edges and our boundaries. I think that's awesome. But we do want to be thoughtful because I do see some people that are just jumping on in. And I'm like, as with everything, no. <laughs> we always want to think. We always want to question. We always want to do some education. We always want to be thoughtful about our experiences. Um, and this is one of them. We want to be made to feel better. We want these things to be enhancing of our self-esteem and our self-work. We want them to um, bring us closer to our partners, perhaps, and to feel more secure with them and to make them feel more secure with us. Our job, whenever we're engaging any human being, an employee, a service worker, um, a family member, someone on the street, is to try to have a positive impact on them. We are not trying to make people's lives harder and healthy people, and a key component of mental health is being aware of how we're impacting others and others are impacting us. No label or designation makes someone not worthy of being treated with care and respect. That is not mental health. Uh, we have these arbitrary labels that are rooted in classism and racism and all sorts of these bananas made up structures as a way to try to let us off the hook and not feel responsible for others, but we do, and sex is one of those things as well. No interaction with another person is neutral. You walk away from all interactions with people, feeling better about yourself, better about the world, trusting others, more or less, sex is the same. As I say all the time, and it's graphic, so get ready, even if you're having sex with someone whose face you can't see, in the dark, out back, behind a dumpster, you are still impacting each other. It is not neutral. You leave an imprint. I walk away feeling better about sex, others, my body, the world, the future, or less. Same thing with the dating apps. Take it seriously. There's another person on the other end, and you are helping them determine how safe they feel around others, how much they enjoy dating, what their hopes are for the future. Take that seriously. It is a lack of mental health to not be caring about these factors. And that's why I want people to enter kinkiness, which we're going to talk about in a minute, from that position. So we're going to come back, talk about kink, because it is an important part of our lives. And I want everyone to have that dessert at the end of their meal, as we say. So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all. We're back talking about kink because it's healthy. It's good. We're all very diverse, creative sexually. In fact, stats show us more people are kinky than are not. The things that we determine to be kinky are actually quite normal. It's exciting to more people. It's the very few minority uh, percentage of people that are interested in the more quiet, vanilla, basic stuff. And I don't even really think that that's who they are. I think that they're just hyper anxious. It's our anxiety that tends to limit what we do and what we don't do. When I travel lecturing for my books, 
uh, which by the way, if you're looking to drop deeper into these topics, of course, Loveline is an awesome uh, resource, but so are my books. Sex Outside the Lines, my first book, is very much a book about normalizing sexuality and helping people get more confidence and explore who they are. And then my second book, Rebel Love, is very much that as well. And it takes a little bit further and gets more into some body positivity and um, some relational stuff. So definitely check both out. And it's work that we all need to do. We have a very sexually unhealthy culture. We still have diagnoses like sex addiction, love addiction. Those aren't real things. Those are an attempt to help people manage what felt like a little bit of out of control behavior, but they applied an addiction model, which doesn't work. And we need to enter it from a position of sexual health and wellness, how to fold these things and keep them in our lives in a healthy way. And part of that is exploring the diversity of our sexualities. Our sexualities, we can sexualize and eroticize anything. That's great in a lot of contexts. Our sexuality is very plastic. Think about it. Early in life, it's the simplest, smallest things that turn us on, just seeing a body. And then we see maybe like, you know, pictures of people in their underwear when we're at the store in the underwear section. And that's the most arousing thing in the world. And then I'm dating myself. We used to have these things called catalogs. Do you remember those things where you would shop a store, had a catalog and you'd get it in the mail and you'd look through their stuff and they had pictures of people in their underwear in the underwear section. That's the most arousing thing we had ever seen. And then it expands more when we maybe see nudity or see pornography or see nudity in a film. And then we start to move towards sexuality with ourselves and others. It's expanding. It's expanding. Well, we magically stop that at some point. We're like, okay, well, I'm monogamous or I'm married or I'm a dad now, or I'm a, you know, whatever job you have. And you're like, what? Keep it going. That's the problem. That's why some of the spark leaves relationships. They don't keep it going. They get lazy. They don't think it's important anymore. They don't prioritize it. Keep prioritizing it. Keep it important. Keep eroticizing each other. I tell couples that all the time, eroticize each other and romance each other every single day, even if it's the smallest form, so as to keep it alive, to keep yourselves connected in that way and to have that association. Don't just become roommates on the couch with your hair up in a pony, in sweatpants, eating popcorn, watching a blockbuster movie every night. That, that, ref, that reference doesn't work much anymore. But I always say, don't make every night a blockbuster night. Keep it fun. Keep it exciting. Woof, we get lazy. That's why I don't think we should be moving in together. I think we should have to keep relationships intentional. You know, I'm not opposed to people moving in together, but that's one of the problems is we get lazy. You're right there. You can't leave now. We're married. We got kids together. You ain't going anywhere. What? What just happened? Anyway, I'm off topic. Kink. So my point was we always want to be exploring and I want people to have confidence asking for what they want and stepping into who they are. But we also want to do a little education. We want to understand. Um, for those that have really diverse creative kinks, find community. Internet is a beautiful place to find others, to connect to resources, education, because we don't want to just jump into things. Some things have a little more risk and do need some education and learning. Other things, maybe not so much. But ask yourself, why are my limits the limits I have? Ask yourself, what are the things I've always wanted to do, but I thought I couldn't? You can. I don't care if you've been married for 30 years in a monogamous relationship with 15 children. You still get to have an active, diverse, creative sex life. Dear God in heaven, more so. You should have such a strong foundation of trust and care. Yeah, you should be having the best sex life. And let me tell you, I do not buy into the idea that aging means the death of sex. There is sexual prime and genital prime. Genital prime is what people usually are talking about when they say, ah, sex is for the kids. Genitally, yes, our genitals are at their best functioning for procreation when we're younger. Great. But our sexual prime should be getting it should be increasing as we get older because we have more confidence, more self-knowledge, more willingness to try things. So our sexual prime should be increasing as we get older, 
where our genital prime might be dropping off, but that's fine. We're not trying to have kids anymore. Most sex isn't about kids. And as we get older, our bodies will shift and change. We won't be lubricating as much. Penetration might be a little more painful, might require more lube, might take more foreplay to get, to get biologically ready for penetration. Our erections aren't gonna be as firm or as quick or as immediate and aren't gonna last as long. That's healthy. But luckily we have toys, tongues, fingers. We do other things because sex is about pleasure. We're not, we're not focused on outcomes. We're not focused on performance. That's part of sexual prime. We should get more confident, more honest, especially if you've been married for a billion years. That's your primary partner. What have you all been doing for all those decades if not building more transparency, honesty, and closeness and trust? You've been doing it wrong. Also, don't give me this menopause stuff. For many people, yes, it might be thinning of the vaginal walls, yes, tightening or loosening of some of the muscles, changes happen. But you might have a rise in testosterone as a drop in estrogen that can increase sex drive. So don't buy into this narrative that menopause and aging means the death of sex. No, it's just different. And in fact, it should be better. We're more confident in our bodies. We're more confident in who we are. Hopefully more confident with our partner, more confident in our relationships. Maybe you're newly widowed. Maybe you're newly single, left a marriage. Congratulations. Welcome to a different part of your life. Divorce doesn't have to be depressing. It's just a change. We're getting back out on the sex apps, getting back out into the dating apps, exploring ourselves. Let's do it. It's time. You know, it's not panic, but get educated. Do some reading. Let me drop some stuff on you. What do you want to feel? What do you want to do? What are the limits you want to get rid of? What have you, you know, sexual bucket list. I'm such a big fan of that. Um, but but be thoughtful if we're talking directly about kink because kink is often stepping into new and unaware. And it could be minor things. It could be major things. People talk about like BDSM, 50 shades of gray, tying up handcuffs, spanking. There are things to think about. For instance, we don't use metal handcuffs. Why they cut us and dig into our wrists. Did you know that? No. Why? Cause you didn't do any education. You want to use ones that have, that are soft or a light or a plastic that maybe has a fur on it. Something that's going to make it pleasurable. You don't even need handcuffs. You can use cloth educate Google how to use handcuffs for sex. Google, how do you spank someone? Yeah, there's techniques. You don't just start smacking. All right, we're going to come back and talk more. We're getting into it, y'all. <laughs> I love this. The later night, the second half. Um, if you've got a question for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveland IG page, questions, topics, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Otherwise, y'all stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Oh, Rachel, we're back and just closing out our discussion about kink. And basically, I'm just saying, do it, try it, ask for it, do some education, do some learning. There are tips and tricks. I cannot walk you through all of them. Luckily, we've got resources, tons of them, great books, internet. Um, how do I spank someone without hurting them? What kind of handcuffs should I use for sex place so that no one's hurt? Yeah, take some classes. They got them online. Also, some of those higher-end sex boutiques in your local town or city often have sex educators working there or doing workshops there. Go on their website. Go there. Check out the boards that they have. Yeah, learn and participate. Spice it up. It's sometimes the small, easy stuff. Um, but remember, how safe do I feel with this person? I don't recommend doing things that require you being bound or blindfolded with someone you don't have an existing relationship or don't know well. You want to do things like that with people you trust and people you know. Um, especially if you're meeting them offline, as always, if you're going to meet someone offline as either a sex worker or as just a sex partner, make sure someone knows where you're going, do the, you know, tracking phone component, but at least send them a photo and the address of where you're going, have a check-in. 
we want to be safe. I had to teach a lot of clients that don't just meet someone on the internet, show up at their house and let them tie you up or use handcuffs or bind you or spank you or any of that. Like ask questions, get to know them first, maybe meet them for coffee ahead of time, do some education hundred percent. We can get ourselves into some really risky things. How do you want to feel? What kind of aftercare? Aftercare is a big one. Afterwards, what kind of experience do you want to have bonding and connecting? Like these are all, these are all important because it's about practicing needs and limits. And you have to trust that the person has them. You also have to trust that they'll honor this, a safer that you will come up with when it's no longer pleasurable. So I want you to learn how to negotiate. You have to have the confidence to talk about these things. So you're going to have to get familiar in practice. Um, I want you to be able to set limits. I want you to read and do some research about it. I also want you to be open-minded because you might be on the receiving end. A partner might come to you and your first response when someone comes to you is thank you for caring enough about me and us to share that with me. Thank you for trusting me enough to share that with me. I might not be interested in doing that or doing some of that, but I honor what you told me. Beautiful. Nothing wrong with what you told me. Here's what I'd be interested in. Here's what I wouldn't be interested in. Here's what I would need to be different to be willing to do that. But we're not shaming. There's, there's no good or bad or right or wrong. It's just, this is who I am. And you can self-define and say, here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I'm not. But we always want to be thoughtful about who we go to. Make sure your partner's mature enough to be gone to about some of these things. Some people are very sexually anxious and aren't mature enough for you to go to them discussing or requesting these things. So it is a question about the safety and security of your relationship currently or with this other partner. There are sex parties and sex dungeons where you're not, where it's not mandatory in any way that you participate. And you can go as a viewer, a voyeur, watch, get familiar. I send some couples to that where they're like, we're not ready to jump in, but we want to be around it. Great. Go together. You're not going to necessarily do anything. You're just going to witness. You're just going to get familiar with the space, the place, the behaviors. There's so many different ways to enter this, but this is a really interesting second phase of life explorative process. A lot of people just shut down and shut out their sexuality and they're like, I'm gay. I'm straight. That's enough. Don't need to know anymore. And I'm like, wow, what a limited place because you learn more about your body, intimacy, communication, boundaries, who you are by dropping deeper into those parts. But even more so when we take that to a partner, a partner comes to us. We want to hold that very, very, very sensitively. Um, that's why I love my work as a sex therapist. I get to be, for some people, the most uh, confidence-enhancing resource where they can share with me these deeper, darker parts of themselves that they have insecurity about. And I can say, that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We can talk about how popular that is, how to get engaged into it, how to find partners, because that's often what, what's, what it is for some. How do I find other people that are into this? How do I feel confident that I'm into this? Is something wrong with me because I'm into this? And often the answer is no, there's nothing wrong. We don't, we don't choose what we're turned on by. We can have some control over what we strengthen, um, and, 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 and how we expand in some ways, but some of this is built in. Um, we can't remove things that we're turned on by. We can learn how to manage them, the impulses, the boundaries. We can find healthier and safer ways to engage in it, but we can't remove anything. And no one should feel bad about what is. It's, it, it really is determined on what you do about that that matters. And that's sometimes what the work is. You know, Sometimes there are limits. Uh, sometimes not everything's possible or available. Um, because of our partners, because of the world we're living in, a multitude of factors. But you shouldn't have to have shame about it. And you shouldn't be in a relationship with anyone that does shame it. People can be uninterested in something, but that doesn't mean it's bad or wrong or they should shame it. And if you're going to be in a primary relationship with someone, you have to be open to them coming to you to discuss certain kinks and creative and diverse ways that sex might be able to exist. Uh, but you're not always going to get what you want. Um, 
And that's one of the things I remind people. Sometimes with partners, this is a negotiation. Not that, but what? Or what might you need to have different so that you have willingness? And how much do I trust you? I mean, my God, that's a big one too. It always is. It really always does come back to trust. Trust you to care for me. Trust you not to shame me. Trust you to be open to talking about these things. That's a commitment we should make in any primary relationship. Even secondary, but primary especially. Uh, All right, we're going to come back and do some DMs. So if you got a question for us, always anonymous, always confidential. Someone else might be wondering the same thing. So put your questions and any topics you want us to hit in the DMs on our Loveline G page. Uh, past episodes of the show, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Love Line and click on it. Binge, post, we listen and share because we got to build that stuff in. Otherwise, y'all stick around because we got more to come. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through. You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I gave birth to my son about eight months ago. Congrats. We've been doing pretty well, but I realized that my husband has changed a little bit. He's not as energetic. He's not as fun, and he just wants to stay home with the baby instead of going out on date nights or seeing our friends. Can men experience depression after their child is born too? A hundred percent. Men also, this is, this is what's so distressing to me is we really gender things and we think women are innate natural caregivers. No, no, no. Everyone has the capacity to be a caregiver if they're socialized into that skill set. But we socialize men away from caregiving and away from emotions, literally from birth. We treat men and male babies differently. We're rougher with them. Men also play sports where they're side by side and it's all about competition and performance. Where girls tend to play games in their youth where it's face-to-face and it's intimacy building. Very different, and we often don't even give men the opportunity to try to be a caregiver. But as we've seen with single fathers and gay male couples, they crush it. It's just sometimes 
different. Children just need primary caregivers. They don't need gender training and gender socialization. In fact, that's often a trauma. They're forced into participating in certain things, liking certain things, wearing certain things. So yes, men also love their child. Men also want to nest and be a part of their child's life. Men also want to be present. Men also have emotional shifts and changes as the result of birthing a baby. They might not physically birth the baby, but emotionally and psychologically, they are in it as well. So yes, men can have different experiences of childbirth also. We got another one that says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Aaron. I've been dating this guy for almost eight months. We got Coachella tickets together. He had asked me what I thought about maybe being single at Coachella. Like we're going to go together, but if we each find someone attractive, we might give each other passes for the weekend. I told him I wanted to think about it. All my friends think it's ridiculous. Now, I'm just feeling like if I say no, he won't go with me. If your (laughs) part, everyone has to be able to be told no. Let me just start with that. And if you don't feel safe saying no, then I don't trust or have confidence in your yes, because then it's being done under duress. It's not a true yes. And how couples deal with disappointment and conflict really tells us about how much they care for us and how much trust and how much commitment they have. So, you know, again, if I bought tickets with someone to go to a concert, it's usually because I want to spend that time with them. If I bought tickets to go to Coachella, which is not my jam and I would never do it, it's very overwhelming in my head, but yeah, I'd want to spend the weekend with them. So be honest, your job isn't to be liked and your job isn't to always center what this other person needs. So I'd be honest, I want to go to Coachella with you. I want to spend it with you. If you want to have sex with others, let's talk about that maybe when we get back home. But while we're there, (laughs) I want to be there with you. It's called a shared experience. It's called a romantic weekend. So I think it's very understandable and reasonable that you didn't buy these tickets to go spend the weekend on your own. Because that could be what happens, an imbalance. Which also, he's really misunderstanding. What if you met someone, if you said yes, and he's spending the weekend alone? Like, are there other people there you know? Because if there's a potentiality that he's off with someone and you're spending it by yourself, what a horrible way to spend a concert weekend. Um, as opposed to using it to bond. So be honest, that doesn't feel comfortable for me. I don't feel comfortable telling you no. And um, I have to be able to tell you no. And my needs have to matter. And I wanted this to be a romantic bonding weekend. I think that that's very fair. And I think that's very appropriate. But then you also have to be open to hearing his response back because he might say, that is what this is about for me. So there's no right answer or wrong answer. There, there really never is a right or wrong. It's more about preferences and how couples manage a preference is what matters most to me. And that's why I'm usually more about the process and less about the content because there's always going to be things that are frustrating or disappointing and I want you both to be able to manage it well. So this is an opportunity to practice that. But looking at the content specifically, yeah, I think it's very fair that you had a plan to spend it with him for the weekend and you can ask him to still be a part of that. And maybe we can try being with others when we get home. Um, so talk it out, you know, more to come. All right, y'all, if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics, things you want us to hit, circle back, drop deeper into, and past episodes of the show, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Um, spend the rest of the night, though, focused on self-care. We need to work less hit 70% max. We're not trying to burn out. Focus more on joy and pleasure, you know, some leisure. Um, But we'll be back tomorrow night. So join us then. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. Y'all enjoy the rest of the night. Be kind to each other and have a good night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. 